We grabbed uh, an American Classic Hair Coors Light, a CL Smooth, as, uh, as some of us like to call them. Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, plebs, freaks, welcome to the Once Bitten podcast. And today I got to sit down with the one and only Martholomew J. Bent, ladies and gentlemen, otherwise known as your Uncle Marty, your boy, who is the host of Tales from the Crypt. He does his own solo show on there, deep dive interviews with people from all different walks of life, and of course co-hosts the Rabbit Hole Recap with their own boy, Matt Odell. Really enjoy hanging out with these guys when I get the chance to. Only ever done it on Zoom. Really look forward to meeting both Marty and Matt one day in real life. Hope you enjoy the rip. Before we get to the episode, please make sure you check out the show sponsors. And Marty wanted to let me know that he is going to be accepting a new sponsor for TFTC and he's going to be shilling deck pills. But we get into that in the interview, so stay tuned. But if you want to stack sats, make sure you're stacking sats with Coin Corner in the UK or Relay across Europe. R-E-L-A-I is how you spell it. Or Bitcoin Reserve now as well. And Bitcoin Reserve have got you covered if you're ready to tie on some big positions. You can call them if you're looking to go large, 50 grand and over. Make sure you are also stacking in the US with swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. And please take control of your coins. Use the Bitbox 02 hardware wallet, Bitcoin only, by shiftcrypto.ch. And if you're looking to get to the conference where Matt and Marty are going to be, I hope to be there myself if we can get there. If medical conditions and rules lapse, we should be able to get across there. Look forward to that. You can use the code BITTEN when you're buying your tickets to get yourself a 10% discount on all your ticket purchases from general admission all the way up to whale pass so thanks again for you guys for tuning in and thank you of course to the show sponsors and to marty for giving up the time i hope you enjoy the bird calls we did this one some real justice take care enjoy the show all right marty we are recording great uh, recording great to see you man great to see you as well it's been been too long it has and you well you've never met lauren because you came on the show before lauren started showing interest in the podcast so you've never actually um actually faced down any of her questions i have i've never faced down any of lauren's questions i'm very intimidated because uh having listened to uh your shows uh, and other guests uh describe lauren's interviewing skills uh, it's there's some tough questions ahead from what i understand well, Lauren, this is your your Uncle Marty and mine. <laughs> but I don't get how he's your Uncle Marty. Since... Well, well, that could be your first question. You got three questions now. Yeah. This is how, like, you, you, you got to like stay fluid. Doing it together. Right, um, okay. So, 
Why are you called Uncle Marty? Like, why do we call you Uncle Marty? Uh, it's a good question. It's because of me. Uh, in, in my writing of the newsletter that I write, uh, I, I try to make the content more approachable and make fun of myself. Uh, and I refer to myself as my reader's Uncle Marty. Uh, you, you don't need to be blood related to be an uncle, I believe. I had many uncles that were not uh, uh, brothers or sisters of my, my mother or father. Uh, and is, is somebody, uh, an uncle can be somebody who just is looking after you. And so I like to think, for my audience particularly, I'm trying to look after them. I say, hey, Uncle Marty's here for you. Or we're going to help you get through this this weird thing called Bitcoin. Makes sense? Yep. Um... So are you happy that he's my uncle? Like, we, that's all good? <laughs> yeah, but sometimes I just get mixed up. Still I'm a weird like, bridge to cross. I'm yeah, just okay. like, you're younger than, da you're younger than daddy. You can tell oh, that just by so... looking at him. Like... <laughs> first of all, he doesn't really. Yes, first of all, that he's wearing a cap. He can have grey hair under that. I, I'm right. not sure about that. Like the beard too. Like the beard is the same shade of hair. So mm. I can slightly. <laughs> My hair's I, hair's not grey. Black and grey, or just completely white to be. I, I have the salt and pepper look, Lauren. It's it's very much sought after. Well. I would take the salt and pepper look over the hair falling out of your head look, which is what I have. If I take this cap off, you'll see that uh, I do do have blonde hair, but it's all falling out. So what, what were your other questions? My other question was, uh, so I know you do a podcast, so why do you do a podcast? It's a great question. Um, I because I, I started my podcast in 2017, September of 2017. I was sort of forced into it. Uh, I actually didn't even know I wanted to start a podcast. I was talking to a friend of mine in the media industry uh, about my newsletter that I had started earlier that year. And he said, you need to start a podcast. People uh, don't always like to read. They'd rather listen to you explain how Bitcoin works to them. And so uh, uh, why do I have a podcast? Uh, I love it. Now that I've started, I love it. But uh, really, it's because a friend of mine, Lewis Roberts, uh, sort of forced me to start. He said, you're, you're going to you're going to start this podcast. I'm going to teach you how to do it. Uh, and that's how Tales from the Crypt started. Um, and it, it's all in an effort to help spread the good word of Bitcoin and, and get people uh, understanding and being aware of this this beautiful technology that we have at our fingertips right now. Okay. And Daddy? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What? We, we know the question to ask. Remember, we talked about it in lunch. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> Should we ask him now? Yeah, go on then. Go for it. Okay. So, <clears throat> what, like, so uh, on the start of your podcast, we, we, we hear, we hear you go like, you're like a, <sighs> don't know how to explain it. Uh, too many words going through my head right now. Uh, so at the, at, so when you're starting the podcast and then like when you finish explaining uh everything and when you're nearly about to get to the podcast mm. after the seven minute ad reel yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'll take uh, that you, you, you do this like with <laughs> bad noise <laughs> <laughs> um they did exactly yeah right so what, what what we've got lined up here marty and this is why lauren's finally fallen into why we're not wearing headphones right now is a little, oh yeah it's a little challenge uh so what we're gonna do is we're, we're gonna play you some some bird noises let's see if you can uh we're gonna see if you can guess the bird first of all and then but but more importantly mimic it 
against Lauren and see who's got the best. I think who's got the best sound. I think it might be you since you might have more practice. <laughs> <laughs> if only I practice, I've got to position the mic here. So sorry, listeners, uh, if this goes, this is this is not pre, this is not pre-practiced or anything. So, oh, that's all, that's already squeaky. Uh, I don't know if that's being picked up. <laughs> right. Okay. Hang on. So we're gonna start. I hope with it with an easy one. Um, oh. Right here we go. <laughs> so now, this is an owl, of course. I don't know specifically what type of owl. Right. But, uh, do, do you want to know? Uh, I would like to know. Is that a bar now? No. You, you see, what I thought I was looking for this sound. I went through about five or six different owls. I was like, my God, these owls all got different calls. And the, the barn owl just kind of hisses. It, it's nothing like this. Like the tweet woo. This is the great horned owl. Oh, it's got a great picture. So, all right, Marty, it's over to you. What, what, what do you got? What are you packing? Oh, no. Can you replay the sound for me? <laughs> oh, okay, okay, hang on. <laughs> Lauren's asking for a replay of the original. <laughs> hang on. It's hard. Here we go. Okay. Right, you ready? Yeah. You ready? <clears throat> Okay. Okay. You can do it. Yeah. Go. Mm -hmm. This is gonna be so bad, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! It's just like everyone I try, they're just gonna. Woo -woo. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, right. We're going on to bird number two. Now, there's gonna be three, mm. three in total. All right, listeners. So uh, we're not gonna get too carried away here. <laughs> All right, Marty, this one, uh, are you ready? Yes, sir. No! Ooh. Sounds like a tropical bird. Um... <laughs> Is it a monkey? It sounds like a monkey. A little bit. No. <laughs> a lot of, again, this is one thing I said to my wife. I'm like, God damn, a lot of these birds sound like monkeys. If you were yeah. never to know. We, we've got to get better at, as Bitcoiners, we've got to get better at our bird calls. Wait, is, it a great, is it a great egret? No, it is not. So Lauren, uh, do you want to, before we tell the listeners and Marty what it is, do you, do you want to try and emulate this? Uh, this, this is, bird? I'm just going to, this mm -hmm. is the best I can emulate. Okay. Since I'm great at shouting and whining, it sounds like that. So, and stuff that. That's horrible. <laughs> All right, so one one more time for the listeners. That's exactly the same. It is a. Uh, that's a peafowl. It's the male bird of the peacock. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, and the last one, Marty, and and the pressure is on here, right? Here we go. First of all, perhaps an imitation. We didn't get your imitation of the peafowl. 
Okay, let me prepare. Oh, oh, oh. 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 That is excellent. <laughs> I think mine. I think mine was better. <laughs> Me screaming for no reason. I think mine's better. That is excellent. You might have to change tales from the crypt. Like that, that, that you nailed. I don't think anyone's going to question that. Did, did you want this last one again last time? Yes, it's ah, uh, this one's going to be. Uh... Hmm. Try and imitate first, and it might come to you that way. <laughs> That's the best imitation I can do. They, they get very high. Nice, I can't nice hit. Guy. Go, go. I can't go. hit that high of an octave. Oh no! Yeah, that was better. Yeah, not bad. Like Has that unlocked it for you? Uh, I mean, it's a smaller bird. Um. um no. Peacock, definitely. I, I would argue not. Is it a falcon? Well, what's the national emblem of? Uh... Oh, it's a bald eagle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. I always thought they'd be more like a. No, the, there you go. There you go. That is the. Um... Well, speak. explain to explain to Lauren the relevance of the uh, the bald eagle. The bald eagle uh, is native to uh, the United States, uh, many parts of the country, in the Northeast. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? National parks of the world out in Yosemite and stuff like that. Uh, its significance to the American people uh, is a symbol of freedom uh, and, and magic. And, uh, it's majestic. It's very majestic. I was going to say a symbol of majesty, but I don't know if that's the word you would use for majestic um, and just the, the free, um, you know, since it rains all across the country uh, in, in a very uh, in a very free way, in a very liberated way. It is a very good symbol of, of what we strive, what we should strive to be here in America and haven't been doing a very good job of in recent decades, I would argue, but. Uh, yeah, and, and just to clarify, uh, it can also be found in uh, Canada and northern Mexico. Yes, this is true. It's all across North America. Yeah. And we've seen one, actually. Uh, it was very cool when we were staying in Canada. That's why you knew you could see them in Canada. And it's just uh, an amazing, amazing animal. I don't Truly majestic. We, you would see them hovering just uh, over the cliff um, by the sea where we were staying. It was amazing. Do you have any more questions for, for uh, Marty? No, plus I need to go since my friend is waiting. Okay, well, do you want to sign off with a bird noise of your choice? Um, I mean, chicken. I'm going to go with chicken because the chicken is the best I could go with. Okay. <clears throat> I need to get my book. I need to practice. No, mind. No time for practicing. Um, well, so you're good night. Anyways, yeah, I have to go. Uh, Good, good night and uh, see you soon, I guess. Good night, Lauren. Thank you for your questions. Oh, question. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. This is really quick. Um, why, why do you do bad noises? Anyway, why? They're fun. They're fun. They're liberating. Uh, a lot of people like to be reserved uh, and, and think uh, that you just need to speak like a human all the time. I, I think that's a very limiting framework to live your life within. I think you should 
you should feel free to let out your animalistic instincts every once in a while. And I, I like to do that most commonly via bird, bird calls. All right. That's why I like to walk like a monkey around the house and chase you up the stairs and stuff. <laughs> I remember the time when he chased Sophia and all of us and we were like... <laughs> you got to let that little animal out sometimes, Lauren. Yeah, but sometimes it's scary. <laughs> all right. So uh, yeah, I, yeah. good night. This time I'm actually going to leave. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, bye. Bye, Lauren. Enjoy your night. There you go. It wasn't too, wasn't too difficult. Huh? Oh, Lauren, don't forget, there's a beer in the door of the fridge. Oh. And, uh, I'm sh- are, are you? It's too early for you over there, isn't it, to, to do the usual pop? It's uh, 2.30 on a Friday, so this is a good time for a boozy lunch. I've got a, I'll go grab a beer. I'll be right yeah, back. Yeah, let's do if that. That's a, is that a, are you okay with that? Absolutely. All right, I'll be right back. All right. What did you grab? I grabbed uh, an American classic here, Coors Light, a CL Smooth, as, uh, as some of us like to call them. Oh, listen to that. That's the sound of TFTC. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers, my brother. It's, cheers. Uh, it's great to get this uh, get this recording done. First, um, first week of the new year, first week back. Uh, so much to talk about. Not least of all, can you pick a certain animal out on that wallpaper behind you? Relevant uh, to a, yeah, we got right a peacock right here. You I got a peacock known. right here. <laughs> yeah, how random is that? Yeah, I found out when we moved to Austin that that wallpaper is making a comeback. Apparently, my wife said we had to uh, put wallpaper up in the in the dining room. You going retro? Yep, it's it's, it's coming back. It's in vogue now. And uh, how about your stogie habit? Is that uh, is that going strong? Or are you uh, dialing that back? Uh, in recent weeks, I've dialed it back. I've had a stogie uh, since, I mean, actually, I had a stogie last week when we recorded the last episode of RHR of the year. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a once a week habit, maybe, if that, uh, a couple times a month at the very least. Man, I, I cannot believe how much has changed since we first did this, right? Uh, and I think we're going to go back to um well i started the pod end of jan 2020 so it was likely we we chatted in march because you were one of the early guests march 2020 you i think you were still in new york at that point uh for the first half of the month um right i i escaped uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn to uh, South Jersey, I believe it was like March 11th of, of 2020. Because I remember you were in like a tiny little room on a creaky desk. Uh, so maybe you'd already made the jump. It was uh... possibly it was probably um, working for my father in law's bedroom at that point. Already. Yeah. I, and and uh, your son, right? Was uh, when when was he born? He was born February uh, of right. 2020, so he was he was a fresh lad at that point. That's uh, right. You were a brand new dad. You were escaping New York. You've since escaped to to other locations since, like uh, Philadelphia, and then and now in Austin. We stayed at the shore for a year and a half, and then moved to Austin in October of last year. So yeah, we we overstayed 
are welcome at my father-in-law's house. I'm very gracious for my for my in-laws, uh, my father and mother-in-law, for for being so generous to let us um, live there for for as long as we did. Um, it helped us stack a lot of sets. I, I'll say that. Were you all in one house together, or did they have another place? Or? They had a, they had another place, but it is a multi-generational home in the in the summer. Uh, it is since it's a short town, uh, a big. Uh, tradition in the Philadelphia area specifically is to migrate uh, 80 miles east to the coast uh, for the summer. And so during the summer, particularly during the weekends, uh, it was it was a very packed house, but in the best way. And we had my in-laws, uh, my, um, my sister and brother-in-law and their children, our son. Um, so it was like a, a, a great place to get together with the family. Family unit, man. This is what Bitcoin yeah. is all about, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and it's uh, bringing it back. At least I hope. Um, it feels like you were always were you always wired that way. Do you think, or like Bitcoin's helped that, or just you know cemented it in some way? Uh, it certainly cemented it, but I also feel that a uh, uh, lucky individual in the sense that I've had a very strong family my whole life. Um, my mom's the youngest of eight, and I have uh, like twenty six cousins on her side. Um, and they're, they're basically brothers and sisters and, um, we grow up in, grew up in Philadelphia and it's summer down the shore. And so my summers and, uh, we're, we're hanging out with my brother and sister and, and all of our cousins and, and growing up that way. I'd like to, we have a very strong family union in that regard. And, um, I am very happy to see that, uh, Bitcoin is driving familial values to to the four people's minds because as somebody who grew up with a very strong family very big family um that, that all loves each other I, I do hope that anybody out there gets to experience that same type of family union because i do think it's important and i think it's very instrumental in making me the, the man i am today and how about uh, the move to austin was that uh like a big upheaval big decision to make or it all just kind of seemed to make sense so because from an outsider looking in you know as a euro pleb sitting over here currently locked out of your your great country because of uh, medical decisions um we we look on in envy at states such as florida and um austin well specifically austin but texas uh you know more broadly uh because we're we're, we're just not seeing these freedoms come back to us yet this is is truly worrying Yes. Um, so the, the decision to move to Austin for, for me, my wife, uh, me and my wife was a combination of very easy and very hard, very easy in the sense that there's a lot of activity in the Bitcoin world going on down here, obviously, uh, which bodes well for my professional life, um, being closer to things going on uh, for what I'm doing at TFTC and then at 1031 as well. And then on the mining side, even with the energy industry being so large down here, just makes sense from a, a professional perspective to to be down here. Number two, obviously, um, up in the Northeast is not too particular pockets of the Northeast uh, here in the United States are not too much different than what's going on in Europe. Uh, and unfortunately, where we're from, uh, the restrictions are 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 pretty pretty widespread in the large cities in the Northeast. And uh, there are certain discriminations 
against people who make similar uh, medical decisions on behalf of themselves up there. And it's somebody who um, is one of those people who made one of those personal medical decisions. Uh, it's I'm not going to subject myself to, to living in um, under that type of um, that type of restrictive lifestyle, if you will. And I'd, I'd prefer to uh, use my feet and move to a place uh, that sort of respects my autonomy, my individualism. Um, and then the taxes, the tax breaks don't hurt. There's no income state tax and uh, income, uh, state income tax, excuse me, in Texas, um, which is good for, for the business and, and my personal, um, my personal wealth as well. And then it was hard as well, obviously, as I just described, um, we have a pretty large family on both sides, my wife's side and in my side. And, uh, um, obviously we love them to death and it, it is hard to move far away, but it's not forever. And we will see a lot of, uh, our family pretty consistently. So, uh, it is tough not to have the in-laws of my parents, uh, a short drive away to come hang out or help with, uh, our son. But, um, it's a part of the territory when you're, when you're trying to align your, your physical location with your values. Is flying between states pretty simple or is that still pretty restrictive and, um, you know, that they want you to mask up and uh, have certain documents or how's that working? There's no, you're not checking like Vax documents yet or even like test, which is good. But yeah, the masks are, are still a thing, which is mm. a bit annoying, especially if you have some of the CEOs of the largest airlines in the country coming out and testifying before Congress that the masks are pretty useless um, when you can take into consideration that they don't really protect against the aerosol. And then on top of that, the airplanes have very good filtration systems. Um, and then, I mean, it's really, yeah, I could go online by a flight to Philadelphia today and get there pretty easily uh, with the condition of having to wear a mask. But yeah, airports are pretty terrible. Uh, experiences. It is easy to get the ticket and they will allow you to do it. But once you get to the airport, it's a pretty miserable experience. The combination of having to wear the mask um, and go through the TSA process, which is completely asinine. It's something I hope uh, we rid ourselves of at some point in the next decade if hyperbiquitization happens. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, turning up in the States as a foreigner, man, is just the pits. It's the absolute worst experience. Yeah, it's. I, uh, my wife and I went to France a few years ago. It was really, and I tweeted about this. You can probably find the tweets at some point if you're listening to this. Just you know, search on Twitter from colon at Marty Bent, Newark. Like we flew from France, you know, from Paris back into Newark International in New Jersey or right outside New York City. And I was just extremely embarrassed as an American, um, watching a bunch of people from out of the country come in and have that be their first experience, just like very rude TSA uh, guards yelling at people who don't speak any English and just like uh, forcing them to go a certain way and um, not really welcoming people uh, to the country, giving them a New York welcome, if you will, which is not the type of welcome that uh, you really want. No, certainly not. All right, what's going on down in uh, down in Austin then? Um, because I I thought you were still with Gam, um, so it, it turns out that you're not. What um, 
What was the um, precursor to that? I was approached by 1031, um, the, the venture capital firm, which is focused on uh, uh, investing in Bitcoin only companies and companies building out infrastructure that will help uh, expedite a Bitcoin standard coming to the world. Uh, and uh, again, my whole journey um, throughout being, I guess you could say, like a publicly facing Bitcoin professional, which seems like a weird thing to say it does, um, right? <laughs> has has always been um well, i started out i was a professional i just uh, was looking for something to do and where i could help bitcoin in 2017 i started the newsletter so i was like all right where do i think i could help bitcoin um and at that point in time still to this day it's like all right i can help by producing um content that to help people better understand Bitcoin and make Bitcoin more approachable for people who are like me um, here in the United States. And it's turned out to be a global audience, uh, similar with the podcast, to get from written to audio. And then uh, when I joined Great American Mining, uh, the, the pressing need that really drove me to be confident in joining the team there was uh, to, to distribute hash rate geographically obviously there's a lot of concentration in china and other parts of the world and at that point when i joined great american mining in 2018 the north american and more specifically u.s mining industry was not anywhere near as large it is as it is today and so i thought hey yeah, i'll join this team um, and really do my best to help uh, distribute hash rate geographically by by working for a mining company that's trying to bring it to the u.s and then on top of that and uh, not only distributing it geographically, but more granularly by doing off-grid mining uh, in, in oil fields using flare gas. Um, and on top of all that, combating the, the energy FUD narratives that, that are pervasive. Um, and so obviously, as it stands today, uh, when my, I made my decision in September of last year to leave Great American Mining and join 1031, I looked at the landscape of the mining industry in North America. It was like, all right, it seems like uh, it seems like I can go help out somewhere else. And that's why I decided to join 1031 is because uh, I do believe there's a lack of capital in the venture capital space, specifically dedicated to Bitcoin companies uh, and Bitcoin infrastructure. Uh, there's, there's a massive amount of capital dedicated to the crypto space. And it's just astonishing to me that you know, billions and billions of dollars have been raised for the quote-unquote crypto space and if you compare that to the amount of capital that's been raised and allocated to bitcoin only companies it's it's a pittance um so uh that's again trying to keep in line with the ethos of everything i've been trying to do as i stepped into the the bitcoin sphere if you will is is all right what, what how can i help push bitcoin forward uh at this point in time and right now i think 1031 is is the best way to do that and considering the amount of time uh, it takes to, to actually dedicate myself to this i i thought uh, uh it wouldn't be fair to great american mining or 1031 to be doing both at the same time what was your role at uh again uh leader or director of business development so, so what was the day today what did that look like loads of phone calls and uh you know like hitting the road or the combination of both, yeah, phone calls, um, whether it be with gas producers, people in the mining industry, people in the mining pool industry, uh, people in the government um, trying to understand how they should regulate mining, traveling to 
uh, Houston here in Texas where the oil gas industry is pretty big. Um, and then the fun part of it is crafting narrative uh, via you know, the public sphere and Twitter, uh, the podcast that we did in, in writing, um, trying to, again, really help people better grasp the, the connection and the confluence of Bitcoin mining in the energy sector, which is, as we all know, as Bitcoiners, is is widely misunderstood in, in uh, the mainstream culture and media. That. How was that rabbit hole? Because you were uh, that, that that must have been pretty raw to you. Like, um, so, you, you, you know, when when we spoke before, we went through like your past. You'd been at uh, Barstool Sports. You'd, you'd mm -hmm. written um, analysis uh, in uh, like a, in a Wall Street firm, if I remember rightly. Uh, then you'd started your Bitcoin podcast, and all of a sudden you're getting dragged into this kind of like side hole of uh, of the energy sphere. Um, what what were like uh, you know what were those early kind of months like? It just must have been a complete overload of dots aligning and uh, you know epiphanies. Well, I mean, I'm very lucky that we had a very strong team, uh, particularly on the energy side, oil and gas more specifically at Great American Mining engineers that I was able to lean on. And you know, so like early on, it was literally just bugging them. Like, what does this mean? What's like, what's, what's a BTU content? What's an MCFD? What, uh, what's upstream? Like these simple questions that now today, like if I, uh, like if I, if I, I'm, I'm lucky I was just naive and didn't care about um, what people thought because now understanding what I understand about natural gas industry specifically is questions to anybody in the industry or like some of the, the most basic questions they answer. But yeah, I was lucky to have uh, a team to lean on that was able to educate me. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, I worked at a managed futures fund as an analyst uh, out of college. And part of that analyst job, we, we traded commodities markets and some of which were um, crude oil and natural gas. So I had exposure to uh, natural gas and, and oil markets, uh, crude oil markets uh, in, in a past life, but uh, it was always um, at the macro level, like sort of understanding which countries are producing more or less, uh, what deliveries were looking like at any given point in time. Um, so that was like a very... Um, zoomed out uh, 30,000 foot view of the the commodities markets, particularly energy markets. And the experience of GAM forced me to zoom in uh, very, very far into like the intricacies of the market, particularly upstream production of, of oil and natural gas, its extraction and, and how it gets delivered to market and where uh, the, the bottlenecks and pain points in, in that particular supply chain exist. What's um, what's your biggest takeaway from it all? What or like, what was the domain kind of thing that just pissed you off? Like, you know, how how can this be, how can this be happening? Like, you know, what is that? The, there's always something, right? When you learn about something new, you just see through the bullshit. Uh, really, what surprised me is how effective the. Uh, I guess the, the attack on the oil and gas industry has been within the oil and gas industry. It's a very dejected industry. The, the people in the industry, not all of them, but there's a lot in the oil and gas industry who have been completely dejected by the, the uh, nonstop media onslaught of the first two decades of the century telling them that they're evil um, and 
disastrous people who are destroying the planet. It's really done a lot to deprecate the mental um, state of that industry and, and their view of themselves, uh, which was astonishing to me. Um, you, if you understand how modern society works, it would not be a modern society without the, the ability for humanity to extract and deliver oil and gas to market to, to provide us with the, the quality of life that we that we enjoy today. And so for me as an outsider coming in and learning all about this, it was like, you guys got to fight back. And I think as a Bitcoiner, um, it, was, it was probably easy for me to be um, a bit astonished because we're so used to fighting uh, against bad narratives in Bitcoin. It's been a constant battle the first 13 years of its existence against people spewing nonsense at, at uh, the Bitcoin network and the industry growing around it. Um, so that was, for me, it was like, holy shit, like, you guys let these people get to you. Like, you need to stand up for yourselves. You're providing humanity with an incredible service. Don't let these hysterics who don't understand the intricacies of what you're doing or you know, grasp the importance of the job and quality of the jobs you're doing, the quality of life you're providing all of humanity. Like, don't don't let them beat you down. Like, be proud of what you're doing. Um, and like I said, it's not everybody in the industry. Obviously, there are many throughout the industry who do get this, but I was shocked to, to learn that there, there was this um, sort of uh, like tail between your legs mentality um, that, was, that was a bit pervasive throughout the, the oil and gas industry. And especially in Houston, these are generational kind of family businesses, right? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah a lot of seventh generation Texans down here that have been in oil and gas there. So that's legacy stuff. And like, you know, just to be sitting there down in the doldrums, not basically not believing in what your, your grandfather and your grand grandfather has done before you is now like that's all being torn down in front of you. Had you ever been greenwashed before, before like um, you found this industry? Do, do you feel as though like looking back at Fiat Marty, for example, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I was, I'll, I'll happily put my hand up and tell you, I've been greenwashed that, you know, I thought it was, this was all evil bullshit and um, how dare they poison our rivers and all of the other kind of stuff. Um, did, did you, were you ever had by that? At some, when I was younger in high school, um, I certainly was, but I, I was lucky in college I actually took, which is surprising considering the college I went to um, in the state of the university system in the United States today. Uh, I had an elective course that I took on global warming and I thought it was going to like greenwash me and I was going to learn about how evil everything is. But the professor turned out to like be incredibly based and was just like, no, these people are lying to you. Like when I was younger. Really? Told me, yeah. Wow. Like, you got to shout told... out that professor in case he's still I, teaching. <laughs> I can't remember his name, but he was an older <laughs> gentleman. But it, what he really drew, drew home to me or drove home to me was... Uh, again, taking a zoomed out view and looking at these narratives and how they've shifted over time is like throughout his life, he'd, he'd lived through like the seventies. They said there's going to be another ice age in the eighties, like acid rain or the ozone yep. layer was gonna, gonna, it was falling apart. It was going to destroy the planet nineties. It was like acid rain. And then as we transitioned to the 21st century and it turned into this global warming, um, you know, catastrophe narrative that, that they've still, they're still running with today. Um, and he, he did a very good job of, uh, I think that's the class uh, that I first learned how people lie with statistics 
and pick very short time frames to feed you data to then draw narrative out of um, and so yeah again that class was a lot of zooming out and having longer uh, timeline data sets to to um, dissect and then uh, pointing out a lot of the logical inconsistencies and more importantly like the, the predictions that have been made consistently throughout the last five decades that were never met yeah it's um i remember I remember two of those events. I was around in the 80s and 90s and, uh, you know, an impressionable young man. I remember at primary school learning about, um, so you said the 70s was the Arctic one. I don't remember that, uh, but I do remember acid rain was a big one. I actually remember walking around as a, as a young man, a uh, young boy, excuse me, you know, wondering in my mind, how are all these poor people living in like Sweden? I think we were told were, you know, that it just, it's just acid rain over there. I, I honestly thought like the rain would fall from the sky and just burn through people's skin. And this is how <laughs> they were living their lives. Like this is, this is what goes on through the mind of a young person. And this is how impressionable it is. Um, and then the other one you mentioned, uh, what was it? It was the ozone uh, layer. Ozone layer. Of course, of course, oh. the ozone layer and how people in, um, you know, lands such as Australia or New Zealand would just go outside and just frazzle. Their skin would frazzle within like a minute. Uh, like in a kid's mind, mm -hmm. you, you, it's like it's almost cartoonish that the, the kind of vision that gets conjured up in your brain. And this is what we're doing to kids. So now obviously, uh, you know, I have young kids and I try and protect them from these narratives, especially this last 18 months. My goodness. But, you know, anything before that as well. It's it's so difficult, um, and they have such a huge platform with this with these like uh, narrative delivery cells that they have. Whether it's the television, or whether it's now your your smartphone, or whether it's um, you know the the newspapers. Still, uh, it, it's 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 not even the newspapers. Like grocery store bags, like it gets thrown in your face there, yeah, like... mate completely true because i remember seeing on the side of um here in france when you go and buy your baguette you you get the sleeve right it always comes in a sleeve you never just get past the baguette across the counter it always comes in a sleeve and it's not that they give a fuck about um you know handling it or you know anything like that they just don't because they handle it there to to put in the sleeve it's because on the side of those sleeves is marketing and advertising right they yeah. were marketing the jab Mate. <laughs> uh, on the side of your, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This is, this is unbelievable. Um, and when I talk to people about it, I'm like, like, do you realize like the, the marketing budget these people have right now? This is just a, it's such a classic loss lead, uh, for for these huge companies like Pfizer, for example. How many tens of billions did they make in one quarter? Like a percentage of that is going into marketing for the next quarter and you know i try and tell people around me like this is what's going on these why you in the uk the nhs bus posters they had the, the the posters at the bus stops of people dying a picture of an old man with like wonderful blue eyes with the face mask on clearly a model like a, a model gentleman of like 74 years old or something laying in a bed staring into like you know, don't let it be your grandfather or something. Uh, I'm like, this isn't NHS. Like, how much money are they spending on marketing this shit? When at the same time, they're pleading complete poverty 
in in the whole health system it's just how do we what were we talking about before like uh, yeah so narratives we were talking about this this is how insidious it is it's just this creep um and one last point to to rant on um the uh the the, the textbooks in schools are being oh. updated to normalize lockdowns and to normalize really yes especially here in france because i've seen the books people have been tweeting them around that their kids are bringing home and uh, it's in their history and geography books uh and um like a double page spread on how lockdowns are you know a necessary measure to take during a time of pandemic or during a time of um you know emergency and wearing a mask is uh being normalized and um just basic general government overreach is being normalized uh, because you know you have a picture of of going through the scanner uh, at an airport and it's no longer just the metal bar thing it's like all kinds of shit showing up and um you know showing um uh, like a vax pass sort of thing qr code unreal mate it's not only unreal it's disgusting but it is powerful i think that's the thing i think another uh, another benefit i've had of having a strong family that uh, my parents really focused on education the high school uh, specifically um i went to a good high school and like the whole basic curriculum of the high school revolved around being able to write and articulate ideas but most importantly critically thinking and like being able to come to first principles reasoning and understanding of, of complex topics and could this something... have been a state school marty no it was, uh, it was not. <laughs> no of course not <laughs> <laughs> it was uh it was a jesuit high school um in philadelphia and um yeah i i, I like people don't know how to critically think they, and they just drone on again going back to like lying with statistics and um it's one tactic they use another is fear-mongering they just leverage the the amygdala to to t tap into uh, millennia's uh, old sort of uh, survival tactics that we have in our brain that react very very quickly and um, aggressively to to what is perceived to be something that induces fear yeah it's um it's sick um we should get back to energy though we, we got off on a tangent uh, because we were talking about greenwashing, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Busting this FUD. I think the community's done a great job. Uh, there are certain people out there that have done amazing work in, in pushing back, yourself included, of trying to explain to blue pills or normies, uh, whatever you want to call them, that, you know, we're not wrecking the world. There is something going on here. Um, that we need and we need it to be hand in hand and that is our energy production and that is our energy consumption and right now we need to to tie the two together especially on the consumption side being bitcoin and the uh, the production side being at the very least reliable like you know <laughs> so like uh can, can you help the plebs that might be facing going into the new year especially the new people here that are listening and uh, might be thinking, I got to start telling all my friends and family about Bitcoin. Oh my God, I found this mid 2021 and blah, blah, blah. The, the, the price has gone crazy. And the, the, you know that point 
where they're telling everyone about it and they're just getting the just usual FUD, the headline FUD. How can you help someone overcome, you know, quite eloquently the the idea that Bitcoin does not boil the oceans and it's not bad for the environment? Uh, it's tough because uh, again, you're you have to pierce very, uh, very strong and layered preconceived notions about energy use in general. So that's where you have to start. Is uh, even before you get to like Bitcoin miners. In the amount of energy that is consumed by uh, the Bitcoin mining ender, uh, industry specifically is like, do you, like do people understand that energy production and usage by humanity, like the increase of production and usage ties very uh, or correlates very tightly to human flourishing and, and uh, again, uh, the ability to, to provide ourselves with the modern world. That we live in with this technology that we're using right now that allows me to be in uh, my house in, in Texas and you and yours in France uh, speaking into microphones over the internet uh, and video conferencing at the same time uh, this is not possible without energy energy is a very good thing humans are a very good thing too so that's um, one thing that um, the energy uh, hysterics uh, really um, the, the picture they're painting and narrative they're they're putting out there is very anti-human. It, it, it is forcing and, and pressuring humans to view the view ourselves as something that's bad for the world. When um, I, I, I don't think that's the case. I think we're very uh, good beings overall, uh, mm -hmm. conscious beings that are able to harness the environment and energy to, to protect ourselves against nature, which is a cruel, cruel beast. Um, and we should be proud of the fact that we are able to harness this energy and provide ourselves with uh, the, the lives that we live today. With that being said, it's like all the, the people, a lot of the people out there who view what I do and advocating for more energy use and Bitcoin mining being okay, uh, even though it consumes massive amounts of energy, which is the truth, um, is that like, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. The, um, give me a sec here. Yeah. With like, even though we're, we want to use more energy, um, and produce more energy and deliver more energy to create electricity for humanity. Like we should, obviously I consider myself an environmentalist. We should be as efficient um, and non-wasteful as possible. We shouldn't waste any molecule that we take out of the ground and could potentially turn into electricity. Like if we're wasting that, it's wasted potential. That's that's uh, pollution, if you will, to an extent. Like you're just wasting something that you could have gotten value out of that um, you know, could have provided uh, a productive use to humanity. And, and that's where Can Bitcoin I just comes interject in. there? Because that's, that's one thing that really... Uh, throughout my my own journey uh, and listening to people like yourself and um it's harry sudok isn't it mm -hmm. uh, yep um i had no idea like really how these grids managed power i mean why should i i was never taught about this at school i, I just had no clue but this idea that they ground energy just shocked me because you know if they're running at over capacity they just drill that energy into the ground is that what they do it's just like completely burnt off and wasted well, it's, a, it's yeah, well, it's produced into electricity, but that electricity has a life cycle. Like it either has to get transmitted to an endpoint that, that produces 
um, like, a, like a computer here, a house or a computer, or it just you know, dissipates and is lost into the ether, or not lost into the ether. Energy cannot be you know, created or destroyed, but it's uh, it's hard to re-harness that and turn it back into electricity, um, typically. So yeah, there's a lot of wasted electricity because the way grids work, you have to overproduce, mm -hmm. uh, you have to produce uh, uh, enough electricity for peak demand, which typically happens in the middle of winter or the middle of summer. When people are are warming or cooling their houses the most, you have the most. Uh, you have a, a lot of people using a lot of electricity to uh, change the, the temperature of their houses so that they can survive. And so the way grids work is they basically try to estimate in any given year what that peak demand will be uh, during those times when people are trying to warm or cool their houses, and that's how much electricity they produce on their grid throughout the year. And so in, there's an intermediate meteoric periods between those peak demand periods you you have an overabundance of electricity that's just simply not being used it's being produced but it's not being used by anything productive um, and, and that's just because the way grids work if you're going to build a grid you have to build it a certain size and that size has to um, be able to service peak demand and so it's a lot of waste it's a lot of electricity it just sits there that, and dissipates it just yeah. like uh, erodes basically like um like shit in a landfill would just like leak methane into the air essentially yes so bitcoin recycles well it doesn't even re i wouldn't necessarily say it recycles it it just steps in and says hey don't waste that like right we'll take we'll take that electricity and run it to our computers so we can produce hashes that will inevitably allow us to to receive Bitcoin as revenue. It's hungry. It yeah. wants it wants the electricity and it's it's providing potentially providing a, a whole new revenue stream for the for the grid. Yeah, and then like and then it allows you to do uh, for on grid um which I worry about long-term politically because people don't understand the nuance of the conversation we're having right now. And I do think, like you said, we're not educated about this. This is something that should be uh, taught in schools and understood by humans, especially considering how important electricity is to the quality of life that we have today. But like, you know, Bitcoin miners specifically create the conditions where you know, like we saw here in Texas last year in February, like they, the grid estimated that peak demand in february of last year would be a certain amount and they underestimated what peak demand actually was when the time uh, of peak demand came and there literally wasn't enough electricity for people to to warm their homes uh when it when it got extremely cold out here in texas and it literally led to deaths so you had people uh, so desperate to to warm themselves they're getting in their cars in their garages and turning on their heat in their car and mm -hmm. not understanding like carbon monoxide poisoning dying in their cars some people a lot of a few homeless people died um being left outside in the cold conditions and so like this is you know, quite literally a life or death situation and what bitcoin miners on grid there's an argument that we can, you can be made that they create the incentive to uh, you can uh, create enough capacity on your grid where you you just blow past any estimate of peak demand that you that you'll ever have. You, you create um, an abundance of on-grid electricity far beyond what any historical peak demand um, has mm -hmm. ever reached. So that um, Bitcoin miners will will consume that excess electricity, and if 
know, you have a two sigma event where the, the demand for electricity on the grid um, far uh, exceeds um, peak demand, the, the, the average peak demand of years past, you, you'll, you won't have a February 2021 situation like Texas did. You'll have enough electricity to, to siphon off to the grid. Um, right, so that's you just, just you, you flick the, the mining machines off basically and then that that machine the uh, the electricity goes to where it's needed by the um the, the residents and the community yeah and this is something that's very unique to bitcoin and probably something only bitcoin miners can incentivize because uh the, the fact that they're contributing to a distributed network if miners in texas have to shut off so that electricity can be delivered to the grid uh it does not disrupt the bitcoin network Maybe blocks slow down a little bit, but the network doesn't turn off. If these were AWS servers or some other type of service that were using that electricity and they had to shut off to deliver electricity to market, that would actually not be good for the people leveraging those servers. You'd have websites going down and not being able to serve serve clients. Um, you'd have whole processes um, that would that would simply fail because the servers that they're being hosted on are are turned off. Um, and so Bitcoin. Miners, the fact that they're contributing to a distributed system, are, are uniquely positioned to provide this service for grids because of uh, the fact that they won't perturb the whole network. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's not only wild; it's incredible. That's that's the mm. mind blowing thing about the whole debate and the the energy fud is that this actually solves a massive problem that humanity has. Uh, and it's, Huge! It's, it just it gobbles up all of that wasted energy and that's only on grid we haven't even discussed off grid where efficiencies mm -hmm. are are happening as well like, so what do you mean yeah. by that those terms like on grid and off grid was for, for people that uh you know perhaps thinking mm -hmm. so if you're mining on grid you're you're mining you're using electricity uh and you are a consumer alongside residential consumers essentially mm -hmm. so you are taking electricity from the same grid that delivers electricity to households. Um, and you, and you can do that literally by turning up with a couple of shipping containers and you know, on site at the grid where like all the, uh, the metals and wiring and, you know, we've all driven past these facilities before. Am I imagining that correctly? Yeah. You can have like a warehouse next to a substation. If you plug a miner in your house, you're technically mining on grid too. Um, right. Uh, and um, so you have that aspect of it. And then off-grid um, is miners who are not competing with uh, other grid consumers. It's literally off-grid. There is no connection to uh, a grid that is serving electricity to residential customers. So, so Great American Mining and other companies like Upstream Data, the, the clients that they serve, uh, Crusoe Energy, Cathedra, um, Bitcoin, they, they are... Uh, basically going out and they're playing an energy arbitrage game where they say, hey, there's a bunch of wasted energy resources out here uh, that can't get delivered to market. There's no capacity. Uh, so these off-grid sites would, would be what typically? Uh, for, in my experience, um, natural gas, upstream natural gas. Uh, and these are wells? Like, uh, the, the, mm -hmm. how does that work? Or is this, they, these are fracking like uh, sites or... Can be fracking sites, can be uh, vertically drilled wells, uh, but in in the most simple sense, it's, it's areas where gas can't be delivered to market. It's literally stranded because there's no pipeline to mm -hmm. take that gas, take it to a refinery, have it refined, sent to a utility company that turns it to electricity, 
uh, at the grid and then delivers it to market. There's no connection or, or ability to get it downstream to eventually become electricity on the grid. Um, and how so Bitcoin miners, again, being uniquely positioned to be a consumer of that energy source are, are willing to show up to the, the location where that gas is stranded and create a very small pipeline to a generator or a number of generators or a turbine even um, on site, create electricity on site that is then used to mine Bitcoin. Um, and so you know, on the off-grid side of things, particularly in natural gas, uh, Bitcoin miners are creating incredible efficiencies where a lot of that gas would either be flared or vented, uh, which means you either just literally let it uh, leak up into the atmosphere without being combusted or you combust it and then let, let the CO2 leak up after after combustion. So that's very wasteful. Again, you're, you're, you're taking molecules out of the ground. You're not utilizing them uh, in any sense. You're, you're literally wasting them. So miners show up, eliminate that waste um, in our in the process of doing so, able to mine Bitcoin uh, relatively cheap because uh, they're able to pay a very small amount for those energy resources because there's literally wasn't a market for them before. So there's very few competitors for that gas. So Bitcoin miners have a bit of leverage in pricing negotiations where they say you either sell it to us for cheap or you burn it and don't make any money. So th this is where my, there's like a little gap in my knowledge here where I can't kind of like piece these puzzles pieces of the puzzles piece these pieces of the puzzle together that don't say that after a few beers um <clears throat> so you've got this natural you, you've got this um off-grid site uh and it's in the middle of bf nowhere and you don't have the pipeline but you still have a drilling operation going there so what what, what are they doing are they like trucking it out is something going on with with what they're getting so yeah, yes. Yeah, so, so the better explain this, uh, what these producers are doing, they're really worried about the oil. That's all they care about. Oil has a higher price, and so they're building okay, pipeline. Right. They build pipelines for the oil, and they get that to market. And there's associated natural gas that comes out of the ground with the oil, and that the economic incentive to build pipelines uh, to get that gas to market, and the gas and the oil can't go through the same pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, the economic incentive to build a gas pipeline isn't always there, and so producers uh, will, will opt to flare or, or vent that gas depending on where they are instead of building a pipeline. All right, that helps. That helps. I, I was thinking, right, that they've found natural gas, but natural gas is a byproduct of drilling for the oil. Uh, right. Yeah, and there's, there's pure natural gas plays as well. Um, so if you've got a pure natural gas place and you don't have the pipeline, um, this is why, you know, what's going on with that natural gas like you're not just gonna look well, for so, it bring it up and burn it just for the sake of it right so there's got to be how do they get it from from a to b so, so again it's so the natural gas prices have been historically pretty volatile as well as the uh the whole shale play here in the u.s has been volatile since it exploded earlier uh this century um and so what you'll have is uh Producers will take risks sometimes. They'll drill for a well, expecting a pipeline to get built, and natural gas prices will turn uh, against their favor. Uh, and the economic incentive, like to finish that pipeline, doesn't exist. So they'll they'll opt to cap the well, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't mean you're like purely venting or uh, flaring at the site. Just say, hey, it's not make sense to to build this pipeline all the way out to this well. Um, so I'm just going to cap it. Um, and maybe natural gas prices 
increase uh, at some point in the future, we'll, we'll finally pin it, finish that pipeline and get it to market. Um, so there's a lot of wells like that out there. They're capped. Um, again, they're not venting or flaring, but sometimes those caps are inefficient. You have what's called methane leak um, happening. Um, a lot of the times, again, uh, there's some plays in the United States and around the world where you'll have a shallow oil field where you drill a hole, you drill a well, and you get the oil out rather quickly within three to five years, and you still have that associated natural gas that could produce gas for uh, decades. Um, so they get all the oil out and the oil runs dry. Um, again, they don't want to build a pipeline for the natural gas, so they just cap it. And so there's those stranded gas plays as well that exist. Right. So now you can just rock up to those stranded places, plug in, uh, well, you know, you take the equipment out there, the generator and uh, the, um, the shipping container full of the machines. You run the gas through the turbine, through the generator, generates electricity, runs the machines. The machines are searching for Bitcoin. They win. They're, they're then um, connected to a slush pool or some other mining pool. They start contributing to the, the hash rate. They further distribute the network. They stand a chance of winning some of the uh, reward. And over time, if they are pretty efficient with their mining and they have I mean, this is this is zero overhead cost, right? In in terms of electricity, well, no, not exactly, because you've got the equipment out there. It's it's negligible, right? Compared to yeah, right. So then now, if you are winning some of these rewards, these block rewards, and uh, you build up uh, some Bitcoin over time, Bitcoin starts mooning. You can then build that infrastructure to this site if it's you know, if it's worth it, if there's still enough gas left in there or there's potential of more oil to be found, that's the closed loop beauty and how humanity is going to flourish by harnessing the energy via the Bitcoin network. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be massive. I mean, we're already seeing it, right? Like there's oil producers that want to go drill wells. And again, like um, sometimes it's economical to build a pipeline. Um, but it just takes a while. It takes like 18 months. And the way oil prices work, like oil prices are going up right now. A lot of oil companies want to drill wells mm -hmm. uh, and get that get that oil to market. And they can do that via truck and as they're waiting for an oil pipeline to get built. But the gas, uh, they can't do the same with. And in a lot of states here in the United States, there's restrictions. If you drill a well um, for oil and natural gas is coming out of it, you have to have a pipeline for that natural gas in some states you're not allowed to vent or flare at all and so in these particular states producers are handcuffed where they want to go drill get the oil to market to take advantage of the the elevated oil prices at any given point in time but they have to wait for the natural gas pipeline due to regulations and bitcoin completely changes that like where instead of waiting 18 months for a natural gas pipeline to get built out to that well um, what you can do is bring on a bunch of Bitcoin mining containers. You can drill that well, uh, get the oil out, get it to market, and the associated gas you funnel to generators on site that then mine Bitcoin. Um, and you can do that instead of having to wait 18 months, like the way the industry is going. Here in North America, you can have, who's to say, like in the future, you can have, if at scale, a system like that deployed. Um, within weeks, if not a month and a half or something like that. And so you cut the time uh, uh, dilation between, you, you basically are able to drill wells much faster than you would have. And while you're mining Bitcoin, um, 
uh, let's say natural gas prices are elevated and you could make money for it, you could build the, the pipeline out in parallel while you're still taking care of the gas in the Bitcoin uh, mining containers. And um, once the, the pipeline is built out, you can peel the Bitcoin miners off, go down the street and, and do it again, rinse and repeat. One thing I'm thinking of here is it, it legitimizes the the need for the pipeline right um which are sticky subjects especially with surrounding communities if they've got to go across um you know across native land as well for example um that's a very very tricky situation how does bitcoin solve that problem for the local community with, with regards to there's this thing going on over here there's tapped energy which we can you know efficiently get out now there's no argument that it's there uh, we've got the Bitcoin miners um, plugged in. They are, you know, th th they've they've raised the cash to build this infrastructure out. But you're still going to have the pushback or not from the local community that don't want that pipeline built for because it's, you know, going to wreck the, the environmental landscape or something. You know, whatever that, uh, you know, the, the route it might have to take. Is there is there even a sweet? Does Bitcoin fix that? Like, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it fixes that. Like, you'll need. Again, if you're building a pipeline, you have to be very strategic with where you build it um, and how you do it. Like at the at the um, very end of the pipeline upstream, I mean, the people uh, that own the minerals where uh, are, that are coming out of ground and like going into the the pipeline there, they they benefit as a royalty owners and they get paid on the revenue of the gas that gets taken from from their land so i mean in terms of uh, uh helping uh people that, that live on native lands uh be economically um, uh, taken care of like if you do extract oil uh, and gas on on native land do they get taken it. care of as part of the bitcoin mining as well they could so that's a big they would have a claim to that surely if you know <laughs> well that's uh you're now you're getting into a very hot topic in the oil and gas mining industry which is how do you compensate uh royalty owners and, and one thing mm -hmm. if i were a royalty owner so a royalty owner you basically you own the minerals you're called mineral rights owner uh and if you and this allow. is by virtue of you owning the land, right? Like, um, well, it's, uh, it depends on where you live. Like, sometimes you can own the land, but you don't own the minerals below it. Um, in some oh, states, wow. you, okay. if you buy land, you automatically own the minerals. But so you have mineral rights owners. Um, I believe in native land, like uh, the, in, the natives own the minerals no matter what. Um, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so that's a big question. Like, how do you? How do you um, compensate mineral rights owners for um, uh, the... Well, you have to orange pill them, Marty, clearly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. Right now, they're, I don't want to say they're getting screwed, but the, the technicalities of the leases, the way I understand them, like if a producer gets gas out of the ground and sells it to a Bitcoin miner, they pay a royalty on the price of the gas that they're selling it to the miner, not the value of the Bitcoin that's mined on the other side. Oh. Um, and so the way royalties work typically here in the United States, you get a 12 and a half percent royalty on the revenue produced mm -hmm. by the minerals taken out of your ground. But so you can get that revenue in a royalty check every month or quarter, however often you get paid out, or you can take uh, that royalty in kind. You can take that 12 and a half percent instead of getting 12 and a half percent of the revenue 
from the operation. You can get 12.5% of the gas flows uh, and literally own the gas and, and call it in kind yourself. And so if I were a mineral rights owner, this is just me personally, there's a lot of debate about this in the space, I would take the gas in kind and spin up my own mining operation, just do it myself, cut the producer mm -hmm. out at that point. But no, this is a fascinating little intricacy um, and variable uh, to think about uh, in all of this natural gas mining. Um, again, it's it's raw. It's a, it's a new problem that, that not many people foresaw, um, but it's exciting. It's, it's, it's fun to think about this stuff and try to figure out how to appropriately compensate everybody that's involved kyc free stats for the, uh, yeah. For the natives <laughs> yeah that's that's what like yeah that's what like i, I talk about a way to empower um of people that have historically been uh, uh treated like shit for mm -hmm. lack of a better letter you're gonna be known as phrase uh, here. you're gonna be known as uh like uh Little Chief Orange Pill or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but I think uh, no. I think I mean that's like we see the the Compass Mining guys, Will Foxley and crew. They did a really good documentary about the Navajo mining Bitcoin with the big solar project on their land. Um, there's a ton of natural gas and oil on on native land as well, and I think. Um, it would be great for Bitcoin miners to, to approach these people like, hey, can we use your gas to mine Bitcoin and, and we'll help you. You can participate in, in the revenue stream um, for putting your gas up um, and we'll help, you stack. Awesome. we'll help you stack Bitcoin um, and teach you how to fish. And eventually maybe you can, um, you can uh, get enough capital to, to make a massive operation for for uh, your people that'd be awesome man what's what's going on um with compass is that all ironed out from uh like that the big flare-up six eight weeks ago whenever it happened uh i i think it's getting fleshed out so i mean to what we're describing for those who are underwear uh is compass mining is a mining company that um is trying to get more individuals into the mining game and they are basically trying to set up hosting agreements and ASIC acquisition um, processes uh, alongside each other. So individuals can buy miners and then pick a hosting facility to plug them in um, towards the end of the summer. Uh, I believe they were supposed to have one, one of their larger hosting facilities go live in South Carolina here in the United States. And that particular facility, from what I understand, and what's been communicated to me has just had massive delays which um, were not unforeseen, they were unforeseen, but is not something that's uncommon um, throughout the energy industry right now. Like obviously we have this global supply chain crunch um, and the, the the market for transformers that get plugged into substations that produce the electricity um, is, has been severely constrained um, as the economic lockdowns have happened. So, uh, from what I understand, the capacity has been being added to that facility slowly. Uh, but yeah, there are still people who um, basically bought miners um, and were promised that they would be plugged in at a certain point in time that are still waiting for, for those miners to get plugged in, which is um, very unfortunate. Yeah. And, yeah, it's shitty. It's, a, it's, it's, I feel, I mean, I feel. Yeah, obviously they were a, a sponsor on TFTC 
um, for a while. And what many people don't know is that we they wanted to sponsor the podcast out of the gate. And I was like, yeah, I'm not comfortable doing this out of the gate. Let's see, develop a, a track record and I'll speak to some of your customers and see if they're happy. And so we waited, I believe, like four to six months and uh, for them to launch and then run their operations. We had discussions with many of the customers and people were happy. And so um, we felt comfortable uh, advertising with them. And um, I, I wouldn't say that we won't be in the future. I think the, um, again, it's, they, they've had massive growth as well, um, which has made a lot of demand and they're servicing a lot of customers. But yeah, um, the South Carolina facility really threw a wrench in their ability to deliver on what they promised which you hate to see. And then um, the communication could could certainly be much, much better on there. And I would argue. It's, it feels like uh, <clears throat> a very strange place to be, right? You know, you're taking on that responsibility of uh, accepting sponsorship money. Matt and I touched on this when we were talking about it as it was, it was blowing up at the time. Um, and how this value for value kind of, uh, I love it. How this value for value? I was going to say, did you have any more time? But that that's just answered my question. That just that sound alone. Um, the the value for value uh, option that's playing out now, and like Fountain App and Sphinx and uh, Breeze. I mean, we're we're way away yet. We're we're probably three to five years away from this really taking hold and uh, you know making a huge dent uh, into the advertising industry as a whole, not just Bitcoin podcast, you know, this, this is going to spread across all platforms. What are your thoughts on, um, on how that's playing out at the moment? And, uh, you know, what excites you about it? Uh, I think it's playing out great. Like you mentioned, it's going to take time for it to, to hit a, a tipping point in scale where it's viable for you know, podcasters to, to use it as their, their only revenue stream. Um, I think we've been pretty vocal about this. It's been great. Like there's many freaks that are um, participating in the podcasting 2.0 value for value model for TFTC. Uh, it's not uh, an insane amount of money right now. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you. And the, uh, but it is, I mean, it is, uh, it's, it's beginning and I do think we will hit a critical mass um, in the future. I think it will take time. Yeah, and like for me as a podcaster running in what has turned into a business, which has been, again, stumbled into all of this. Um, never kind of really, weird, right? Like, yeah. yeah, never really um, uh, started this with any intent of it getting to where it is now. Um, yeah, like I learned, I learned a lot about podcasting at the Barstool when I worked there. And uh, I think there's, uh, there's ways to do ads um, ethically, like a bar stool, like it just, and that, this is not to naysay bar stool or anything like that, but like as a podcaster looking back now, like people would read dick pick, dick pill ads, like hair loss ads, like stupid, um, like, uh, food delivery ads and, um, you know, stamps.com and shit like what, that. What are you saying? You, you're not going to shield dick pills? Is, <laughs> no. You've drawn a line in the sand there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I ever, if I ever start shilling dick pills, put me out of my misery. <laughs> um, yeah. That's like, so that's what I approach. Like I try. Like, and, and, what about mattresses? Where do you stand on mattresses? Or, I like, or, I wouldn't mind a mattress. Going, I'd, I'd prefer like a whiskey company or something like that. Um, <laughs> There's one out there called Have Fun Staying Poor. P-O-U-R. Yes, <laughs> I like that. They are they are the ones for you. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got bottles here, right here, that uh, 
Hang on, here we go. They they sent me some um, some samples. Uh, so big shout out. We're we're supposed to be doing a a um a rip uh yeah so like uh they've even got the uh the artwork so oh hell yeah where are they based Genes- out of genesis block this ah uh, I, I don't want to do this the story of this service um i believe it is out of scotland and uh it's um a, a rare barrel that they found that they were going to do off in uh in, in rare batches oh hell uh, yeah and um they're going to have really beautiful artwork uh so Sorry guys, um, if you're listening and I've and I've ruined anything, but um, yeah, Marty's your man. Marty and Matt would be definitely up for uh, you know shilling. Have fun staying poor. Here you are again. <laughs> hey, ha- have to have to test the product first. Like I was trying, like this, like I was just trying to get to like I, I do you, you, try. You mean like uh, privately flown across to Scotland and uh, spend a weekend on the lock and you, you, the, the proper service, right? I would expect, you know, I think a, so. a, a podcast of your stature. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're still a very lowly podcast. Don't uh, stop. Don't, don't mistake you, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do Do you ever share like uh, downloads or do, do you? Do you believe in the downloads? Like uh, they, they seem to be like sketchy kind of figures. I don't exactly. I mean, my only um, kind of metric is what I see on Anchor. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Do Do you have any further in depth data analysis than that? No, I mean you can try and cross reference like Twitter views. Um, let me just, uh, share it to Periscope and YouTube. But yeah, I mean again, another thing I learned at po- uh, Barstool is podcasting um, metrics are, are woefully like is broken and mm-hmm. not really indicative of actually what's going on. I mean, I'm looking mm-hmm. at anchor now, historically we've had uh, over 11 million downloads over the last four years, which I'm pretty oh. happy about um, uh, as anchors reporting. Um, and I think again, if you're a podcaster out there, it's just like an interesting tidbit the way I like to measure um, basically the, the podcast um, success is engagement on social um, people talking about it, people sharing episodes. I think that's the best way to get really gauge um, mm-hmm. uh, whether number one you're producing quality content, and if a lot of people are listening to it, um, is if they're they're sharing it on social afterwards. I think that's where a lot of the, um, the the signal is in terms of that. But yeah, I mean, podcast metrics are notoriously like pretty shorty. Pissed. I would say, yeah. I mean, what's a download? Is a download like it's just you know yeah. it's been downloaded to someone's device? How do you know they've actually listened to it? Like exactly, is this, is this a download on an old subscription that people don't even look at anymore? That uh, it's just in the background they've completely forgotten about. And how much of the episode did they did they listen? At what point does it count as a download? I I don't know. I it it just seems really for such a big business and for so much advertising money to be thrown at this thing. It just seems kind of weird that these metrics aren't much more honed. Yeah, which is, I mean, I think that's the nature of the RSS feed. Like it's really hard to hone in on them mm. because you're leveraging this. this which open... might also be a good thing as well. Like, you know, yeah. on, on the privacy side of things, uh, you know, you don't want everybody snooping around and knowing exactly what people are doing each minute of their day. So, yeah, exactly. And again, like, I think um, I like to focus on social engagement and sort of use that as a um, barometer of how 
good or bad the podcast is doing at any given point. Are you using the, the the clips function on Fountain app? I think that I think Fountain have the edge right now because they have that clip function. So if you listen to the app, then you just hit clip. You can choose your blocks. I like the way they just do it in blocks, and then you just share onto Twitter. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I actually, admittedly, uh, I'm an investor in Fountain, and I haven't used it yet because I, I haven't needed to for Tales from the Crypt because freaks are clipping stuff and sharing mm-hmm. it. And, um, that's been like the beauty of it is just like that the social nature that these podcasting apps, Fountain specifically, is is building into their application um, where they're allowing people to provide another form of the value for value model and freaks listening um, and, and clipping things and sharing, sharing that that provides value because that's time I'm not spending or producers suspe- spending um, going and, and looking for these, these, these bits and, and then sharing them on social. You, you sort of have the, the people that are getting value out of your show giving value back by by doing this which is a beautiful thing to see and then fountains actually creating ways in which you can economically incentivize these people these listeners excuse me to create clips you can you can um, bounty out clips say hey i'll give somebody ten thousand sets a great three three clips from these five shows or something like that yeah, well, there's also, I guess, a way where they can be rewarded by sharing that clip. If they if they were to share the clip, they become the de facto um, content creator, I suppose, and they can just get yeah. rewarded in that way. Uh, because you know, th- as a podcast, I'd be more than happy for people to do that. If you're going to go create clips of the show and you're going to get paid for it, then go ahead. Like you know, I, be I my think- guest. I think that's part of the reason why Joe Rogan blew up is that he just had listeners start a Joe Rogan, some listeners start a Joe Rogan clips YouTube show. Hmm. He, like he didn't go after them like, hey, you can't like clip our show. Like he just mm-hmm. let them like, hey, it became like a pretty massive YouTube channel. I'm pretty sure and the people that built that were able to monetize it. And if they got enough subscription, they could get the ads uh, revenue off of uh, YouTube. I mean, that's the legacy model, yeah. right? I love the, yeah. the new Bitcoin model. This is it changes everything. I mean, it's yeah, it's amazing. Mate, I, 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 before we started recording, I, I hit out on Twitter and I said, I'm going to be recording with Marty. So drop your questions below. Should we, should we hit some of these? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Let's see. Uh, oh no, there weren't any. Don't worry. Right. Um, so <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Hang on. Uh, all right. Jonas Byers, uh, at geeky guy, what, what Bitcoin business ideas does Marty have that he would do if he could? Uh, whew, so many. Um, well, you, you, you're 1031 right now. This is, this is the idea, isn't it? To, to have yeah. these ideas and, uh, and fund these ideas. Well, I'm funding, uh, funding I have me personally, what I would want to build. Yeah. A lot of these people uh, were investing in a lot of these teams. I guess I'll say these people, these teams that were investing in at 1031 are building some really really cool things i mean uh, start nine labs with their building with their embassy operating system um is really cool uh, i think the distributed computing stack and uh, is in decentralized computing stack and self-sovereign computing stack is imperative moving forward i want to disrupt paywalls like me personally um i mm-hmm. hate and i've been passionate about this on twitter for years now like i want to 
disrupt like the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, New York Times, like you go to read an article and you're forced to either put in a bunch of information about yourself and your mm -hmm. financial um, accounts uh, to, to access an article um, and then you, you get a, like a recurring charge in the back end because you forget, forget to unsubscribe. Like I would love to disrupt that. I mean, I think that's the next extension of TFTC, at least uh, the written content, maybe even like video content as well, um, is, is, is basically paving the way to disrupt uh, content paywalls and, and use Lightning Network um, to really make that process much easier. Because I think it works out better for the user. They have a better user experience. They're only paying for exactly what they consume. And then on the business side of the content creator side, like I think like those large publishers will make a lot more money because you, you get a lot more people paying for for one article instead of turning away because they're being forced to to either sign up for to sign up for a subscription. Most people just go, I'm not going to do that. All right. Knuts von Holm wants to know when are you when are you going to invite him onto the show, man? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Knut, uh, when are you going to be in Austin? So that's another thing I'm trying to get back to is like in-person interviews. Um, it's a, I, I, that's the one thing that bummed me out about. Um, he, he likes to have his flights paid and hotel paid as well, j just so you know. Like, let, let the advertisers, uh, you know, aware, make sure they're aware that when Knut's coming in, there's going to have to be a little extra cash. Canute would, uh, yeah, I mean, let's figure it out. Hit me up. We'll figure something out. I'm down. I'm down to talk. Uh, you know, yeah, it is weird that you haven't been on yet. We need to, we need to chat. Uh, I'm getting a, another question from Stuart Dawson. Um, how could Marty foresee Bitcoin mining using the flare gas from oil platforms at sea? Personally thinking of those primarily in the North Sea in the UK, but just as good in the Gulf of Mexico or elsewhere. Is this going on already or not? Uh, no, uh, it's not. It's, so that in, in regards to, um, like the, if you, if you're looking at a, um, if you're looking at, uh, sort of opportunities in the flared gas space, like lowest hanging fruit is upstream, like the hardest nut to crack is probably those offshore platforms. Uh, number one regulation around like electrical infrastructure on the platform is very strict. It's a much higher bar um, to get equipment onto these platforms. Number two, you're, you're um, very much constricted from a space perspective. Like you don't, like, there's a lot of gas coming out and like the ability to, to build a massive operation that could consume all the gas on a platform. The space is very restrictive. You probably wouldn't be able to build a, a massive operation. Um, number three, you'd have to build a very um, well-designed and uh, specifically suited immersion design in the salt air out at sea will rust the machine. So if you're going mm -hmm. to do it, you're going to have to immerse them in cooling liquid, um, which which has other design um, constraints. Um, but there, there are people working on the problem. There's some pretty cool at least designs and proof of concepts of actually like creating like buoyant um, mining operations that you can actually dump in the ocean next to the platforms that would be able to utilize that gas. But again, it's just in a design sort of idea phase. I don't think there's anybody implementing it um, 
maybe it's possible one day and I want to guarantee that it will be. But again, it's, um, it's very high on the, uh, or low on the priority list. Um, very hard not to crack. Mingle B wants to know when are you going back to playing lacrosse? Ha! Uh, I'll never <laughs> play again. I'll probably coach again. Um, I've had too many concussions. Uh, my last concussion was actually playing lacrosse. No. Uh, I tore, I've tore my ACL, my MCL, my meniscus, and my left knee, and never got them fixed. So I can uh, can't really um, cut as hard as I used to back in the day. But I would <laughs> like to I would like to get back to coaching. Um, I do have a, a dream of going back and coaching my high school lacrosse team with my brother at some point in the future. Um, teaching economics and, and coaching lacrosse at, at my high school when. Uh, Austrian economics. Let's let's yes, let's, yes. let's let's make sure we uh, yeah. That's that's uh, that's actual economics. So yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> A.H. Hoddle wants to know uh -huh. something about your sailor interview, um, where he came across a little bit paranoid in his his eyes. Maybe yours. Uh, you asked the question. Apparently, they will put ESG mandates on miners, and sailor just retorted with, "Who are these? They." And uh, please elaborate. I, I mean, they, it's a very loose group. Uh, you're paranoid, Marnie. Yeah, Sailor called me paranoid. Uh, right. Like a bit of a tinfoil hack. Uh, like, who are they? Who are they? I mean, they are very uh, out in the open about who they are. I mean, Larry Fink at BlackRock is the, the godfather of ESG. I think he coined the term. And, made an initiative uh, via BlackRock to uh, allocate capital uh, in the purview of an ESG mandate. Uh, the World Economic Forum, obviously, Klaus Schwab and all of his underlings are, are really pushing it as well. Um, and so, yeah, like massive capital allocators are the they. Um, Yates. Yates, yeah, all these uh, Malthusian demonic people that um, want to really greatly control and, and just to interject here your your episode you did with whitney webb recently that's where i came across the um that infographic by ian davies the the global private public sector alliance or something it's called right um, mm -hmm. pure doublespeak you know the the, the pub, public private sector like it's classic yeah. you know how anybody can miss that oh. immediately but then they have like the BIS right at the top, and then underneath that, all of the uh, the other usual suspects that we've just mentioned, the WEF, the WHO, and whoever else. Like these other ones, like um, House of Rome, or, or is that mm -hmm. what it's called, or, or, or Chatham House. Like these other, I'm like, I had to look these up. I'm like, who the, ah, oh, really, this is who they are. And then yeah. underneath you have the policy. Um, so these are the policy makers, right? Then you have the policy in forces then you have the policy propagandists and then you have us right the policy subjects at the very bottom yeah and then in between that even there's just like the useful idiots who really don't understand what's going on but have no right. problem echoing the party line because they think that's you know, how they're going to make sure their business succeeds at the end of the day and it, one other thing that the only thing that infographic is missing. So if anyone's listening, please do it. Put a dollar sign at the top and a Bitcoin sign at the bottom. <laughs> but then you've got to have the Bitcoin sign creeping up each time we tick off one of these um, one of these tranches, right? So we've got the plebs, and then the uh, the we've even got the the tranche above us, which is um, 
government because we have certain senators, especially in the U.S., that are stacking sats. You know, uh, Cynthia Lummis. Um, you know, your Miami guy may be uh, a little bit shitcoiny at the moment, but uh, you know, Bitcoin will will grab him. I'm sure we have Scott in um, in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and then above that, we're at country level with uh, our boy Bukele. Uh, so, at what point do we? That would be a really nice thing. Just tick, tick. Tick, little B creeping up that that infographic. Yes, it's it's happening. It's inevitable. Um, even with the the specter of ESG tyranny, uh, not even on the horizon, but already pervasive throughout the global economy. I mean, this is the natural incentives of Bitcoin are going to win out at the end of the day. I mean, I hate even conceding this, but like if you do, it's not even conceding it. Like it's just. Playing through the logical argument, like all right, if you care about the environment, if you care about the social well-being of humanity and, and justice being um, uh, of equal opportunity being um, yeah, available to everybody and um, uh, a fair governance structure above all that, like <laughs> Bitcoin ticks all those those boxes and makes us more energy efficient. Uh, it's a free and open source protocol that cannot discriminate against anybody. It does not know your race, your sex, your age, your gender, sex is gender, uh, your you know, sexual preference, whatever it may be, like it literally cannot discriminate. Um, and and then beyond that, the governance is everybody has a say in the sense that they can make a pull request and um, uh, basically recommend um, a change in Bitcoin, which is very hard to do, but uh, again, the, the ability to uh, try to do so exists. Um, and you have this, everybody has a say in the consensus of Bitcoin via the ability to run a full node. So if the SG crowd really believes in what they're you know, mm-hmm. pontificating about, which I don't think they no, do. They um, don't. It's just <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like you can't really attack Bitcoin. Which is a nice catch twenty two in favor of Bitcoin, but yeah, like we said, like catch twenty one. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they don't care at the end of the day. They care about control. They don't care about the environment. They're all fucking hypocrites. Like they all went to what the hell was that COP twenty six or whatever in oh, Scotland, yeah. flying private jets, like lecturing the rest of the world. The policies that they enact um, hurt the poor people the most. Like. Mm-hmm. They may increase electricity costs, which um, which make life much harder for the poor. And then they're we're turning into a global, tyrannical, one-world government where you literally have to listen uh, to what is mandated to you or you get thrown in a cage. And uh, people don't have any say in governance anymore. Like it's a p- complete projection tactic. They, mm-hmm. They're projecting their evil on the rest of the world saying you need to do this this and that they're doing the exact opposite on the back end and i will not stand for it we will defeat esg before i die i will stand shoulder to shoulder (laughs) with you and uh this idea of they i've heard peterson um say this before i think he brought it up as kind of a shoot down tactic when he was on the the pod with um with the lads with um with breedlove and and Gigi and and um richard um Come on, guys, there is a they. Like, yeah. like, let's grow up. There is a they. You know, it, it's not, don't, don't point the finger and, and, and try and 
discredit you in this particular place uh, as being a conspiracy theorist. This is this isn't this isn't open debate. This isn't open discussion. This isn't what we're here to have these open discussions. And just to like, um, where, where did you? Because you were at GAM when this was all going down. Where did you stand on the whole um, mining council thing? That was um, that was when was that that was like it was as why we had the the podcast so i came out vehemently against it um, because right. again nobody speaks it's, it's completely anathema to the ethos of bitcoin as a network and bitcoin mining more specifically like bitcoin mining is supposed to be permissionless um and to think that you can have a mining council speak on behalf of the whole industry is just a, a slap in in the face to, to like the ethos of, of what we're doing here. Like nobody speaks for anybody else. The whole value prop of mining is that you're able to speak for yourself and you speak for yourself by plugging in a miner and voting uh, on how you think the world should work. And, and I've watched one of the presentations and um, I will, I will say uh, it was a very good presentation um, that, uh, you know, I watched it all and that they came on and gave and, and it, uh, it helped me uh, kind of align a few stars and uh, join a few dots. And so it was educational, I found for me, but I still I didn't like the idea of this. Maybe that maybe just the terminology was all wrong. You know, I, maybe yeah, well, it's, it's a slippery slope, right? Like, mm -hmm. I agree. Like I do. I do think that some of the presentations they give in the information they're putting out there has value. However, again, having a quote-unquote representative, a council that represents the mining industry can lead to some hairy situations where mm -hmm. like, if that council concedes like, all right, maybe we should do ESG. And then um, a politician takes that line and runs with it and says, hey, look, the Bitcoin mining industry is willing to work within this framework. And then laws and regulations get crafted that force other miners that do not agree with that to, to do to to work within that framework like that's and then you have that, to get bmc certification or something if you want to set yeah. up a rig or like you're right right yeah exactly. we don't want any of that bullshit no and, I, and then to be clear i don't think anybody at the bmc has this intention i just mm -hmm. don't think they can play through the the slippery slope well let's look at the history <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah let's... these things they they definitely take on a life of their own. Marty, how much time do you have, mate? I, I don't want to just because I will go all night. Uh, you know, I, I've still got some beer. I've got I've got a quarter of a can left. I do have my wife um, is looking at me. It's like, all right, you gotta you gotta spend right. some time with the boy. So yeah. <laughs> well, you know, please apologize to Mrs. Marty or say hi from me. Uh, you know, I really appreciate uh, you giving up your time. Um, let's just do a quick uh, a few quick fire ones uh that uh still on the twitter feed here um okay honey sukasan i'm almost zero in bitcoin knowledge what's some beginner resources to learn uh obviously the bitcoin standard is a great one to learn why bitcoin how the money works i think inventing bitcoin by um jan pritzker is incredible if you want to under understand the technical underpinnings uh it's nakamotoinstitute.org is timeless uh, if you want to go read a lot of the literature that predated Bitcoin and sort of led to the creation of Bitcoin, there's a lot of that on Nakamoto Institute on top of that. Um, 
there's uh, very timeless writings from Pierre Richard, Michael Goldstein, and others that were written oh, that shit almost a decade ago now um, that stand the test of time. It really put um, a mental framework through which to understand Bitcoin uh, into digestible terms. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's how I got, not, I mean, that's how Bitcoin Standard, Nakamoto Institute were very impressionable early on. Obviously, Jan's inventing Bitcoin came a bit later, but I think it's really good um, and really quick read too. And then there's a ton of others, depending on uh, your background. Like if you're a Christian, you want to understand the moral case for Bitcoin, um, Jimmy Song and others, uh, Robert Breedlove, and um, I forget the name of the book. At the top Thank God for head. Bitcoin. Thank God for Bitcoin. That's a good one. Like if you want to, if you're a Christian, you want to understand the moral case for Bitcoin from a Christian perspective. You have that avenue. If you want to understand like the deep technical knowledge, uh, and the inner workings of Bitcoin, mastering Bitcoin, is a is a good book to read. If you don't want to read a book, Bitcoin Stack Exchange is a great resource where people you know, throughout the last decade have been asking any question you may have about the technical aspects of Bitcoin there. Um, if you have a question about the technical side of Bitcoin, there's a very good chance it's already been answered on, on Stack, uh, Bitcoin Stack Exchange. There's a ton, I mean, obviously, listen to uh, Daniel's podcast, Tales from the Crypt, if you want to. There's a ton of podcasts out there. Um, there's, that's, that's the beauty of Bitcoin in 2022. There's such a treasure trove of of information that, that can connect with a wide variety of individuals coming from different backgrounds. So depending on what your background is, there's, there's probably an information source that will, that will resonate with you. I got a question from Poof, Bitcoin and, uh, Bitcoin and cows. Uh, do you know of anybody mining Bitcoin with incinerators? I do not. I haven't even heard that idea. Um, I did not. Um, Jason, um, God damn, why can't I think of his surname? Pomps, uh, man. Williams. Jason, Jason Williams. He's mining by burning tires, right? So that's an incineration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the one I know of. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Susie B, she wants to know, when will you be showing off those dance moves for the core devs? Like, what's, what's the story oh. here? Uh, Susie B. I think the deadline was missed for that, but maybe we can re restoke it. Susie B. Uh, double D's. A, I, I don't know what the double D's stand <laughs> She had a she had a TikTok video, I believe, where she danced uh, upstairs in a very impressive fashion, and a couple of the freaks um, asked if Matt and I would do it. Um, and we said we would only do it if there was a crowdfunded ten million sat bounty that we would then donate to to developers um and mm -hmm. unfortunately for suzy b the, the freaks didn't step up and actually <laughs> hit the 10 million dollar bounty so we'll not be dancing for core devs until that uh, the deadline was passed maybe we can create a new deadline all right all right how do you envision life for your children as adults using bitcoin as your framework for how the world works that's, that's from gunny that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I can't even like fathom it, right? Because hopefully, I mean, my son's about to be two years old. He'll live in a world where you like. Will there be when, more, Marty? Yes, we we have our second on the way. Oh, really? Uh, Congratulations, yes. brother! Thank I you. had no idea. Yeah, um, you heard it here no. first, freaks. 
<laughs> coming uh coming this spring um yeah the i don't know it's hard to fathom because do you know boy or girl or are you leaving that no we're good irish catholics we keep it a surprise um, yeah that's what we did with all four of ours yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's best it's a really it truly surprise. is it's low time yeah. prep it, it, yeah. that yeah it's um that's that's the way to go freaks yeah, the, if, yeah. you're gonna, if you're gonna have a kid but so, yeah, yeah go on i didn't mean to interrupt your your no i mean the way our parents described to us the best surprise like it's one of the, like the unique surprises you'll ever have in your life and it, it is true yeah. um so i highly recommend it uh, and gender reveal parties are uh very fiat so um the uh um how do i envision my children yeah it's hard again like because they'll never live in a world where bitcoin didn't exist um we had a little look like here at lauren you know just <laughs> fucking around making bird noises you know they're, yeah. they're you guys right <laughs> i mean I, I hope so for me personally i did i did i wasn't a good saver until bitcoin i was terrible yeah. like I, I i worked at a hot dog stand every summer growing up from the age of like 12 to 21 and i got paid out in cash every day and i just had like a terrible relationship with money because i'd get cash and I just like was young and dumb and just try to spend it as fast as possible go to the arcade go buy candy when i was older go buy beer and pot and all that shit but not until bitcoin then i lower my time preference start saving um very aggressively so i hope uh bitcoin uh, sort of supersedes genetics in this case and it forces my children to uh, to to begin saving earlier and, and I don't know like I think about that if they start saving from the age of 12 in a hard currency what they'd be able to do the freedom that would provide them um, mm -hmm. when they hit 18 20 21 the freedom's options. the key freedom's the yeah. key right that they they will be free um uh, it doesn't sound as though you got state school uh kind of lined up for for any of those kids of yours no <laughs> definitely Sorry. That'll be that'll be even more freeing of the mind, um, but no pressure on you and your wife, right? You just can. This is what I love about it. You can just concentrate on being a family. You know, yeah. when I was building my family, I was Mister Fiat. I was Fiat Dan the man. You know, I was working in foreign exchange, Marty. That's what I did. I was a foreign exchange currency options broker. It doesn't get any more Fiat than that. It's the <laughs> pinnacle of Fiat. That's like you know, it's as sharp edged Fiat as you get. And I didn't see my damn kids. And it was a travesty. And luckily, I managed to escape uh, pre-Bitcoin rabbit hole. I managed to escape, um, you know, when uh, the oldest was just eight and the others were two, excuse me, six and uh, two three-year-olds. Um, so, yeah, I've been blessed. But, the, you know, the, the, the freaks and the plebs following us um, that are going to start building families on this foundation of Bitcoin makes my heart sing. It really does. Because yeah. you don't have to aggressively push both parents into the workplace and you don't have to give your baby up to a daycare nanny after you know one month of paternity leave you know all of this bullshit this fiat bullshit this attack on the family which you and yeah. i are very aligned on they're very aligned on I, I feel very fortunate that um i mean yeah my wife is home taking care of the baby i mean she um can't not everybody can say that um i think you know i work from home and my schedule a lot of the times allows me to just take a, a multi-hour break in the middle of the day and just hang out with my son and mm -hmm. take some of the burden off my wife. And I think that's extremely healthy, not only for the development of my son, but, 
give my wife a break and all that. And she mm -hmm. can probably hear me right now. She's like, you don't do it enough. <laughs> you probably think <laughs> yeah, not enough. Not enough, boyfriend. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I, yeah. I got to ask. First of all, before we close this down, um, at the beginning, Lauren asked you, why do you make the bird noise? We've already told this story. On this We've podcast. already talked about this and you gave her a different answer. <laughs> well, I, I was trying to keep it. I don't know. Uh, I, I want it to be respectful. Are you censoring of... yourself, Marty Bent, on the oh, Once Bitten podcast? I don't think children should smoke pot before they turn 18, so I didn't want to um, to uh, incept do you that want, idea. Do you want to just tell the listeners, you know, in case there's there's new listeners before they, they heard, you know, why is it you make that bird noise, Marty? What is the relevance? So again, I come from a big uh, Irish Catholic family, and when we were in college, as many college students do, you, you, you turn to marijuana every once in a while, and um, at family parties, uh, that was the, the the noise that we would make to 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 meet outside to 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 uh, enjoy a little bit of cannabis. Uh, you hear <laughs> you hear the bird call uh, five minutes later. Okay. You'd be congregating with your cousins in the backyard. I remember, I remember your exact response when I asked you that question. I, said, I remember, I think I asked you something along the lines of, "What? Is, what is that? Is that a peacock? Is that?" He's like, "No, no, that's the sound of a weed-starved human." <laughs> I'm like, yes. Okay, pray tell. Yeah. So uh, yeah, th there you go. For, for those people that have been listening this long, um, I wanted to round it off and make sure that they had the proper context. Uh, and Lauren should be well asleep at five past 11 at night. So uh, she, I, know, I wanted to be respectful. I didn't, I don't know your, uh, your policy yeah. on the approach uh, of course, to, of course. Uh, if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Hmm. Dang. Um, put me on the spot with this one. Who would I give it to and why? I'm trying to think who could be most impactful. Um, I mean, a lot of people are orange build already. Like, uh, I was going to say Kanye, but I think he gets Bitcoin. He's talked about it in the past. Um, who and why? Um, hmm. Ah, I mean, here's a contrarian take. Uh, <laughs> Jerome Powell. Uh, and why? Because it'd be incredible if you just had the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve come out, uh, have an about face, say, hey, what we're doing here is wrong. Like, Bitcoin's actually better. Like, imagine. Like, that's actually who we should be orange billing, if you think about it. Like, if you get the chairman of the Federal Reserve to admit that the, the reserve fiat currency of the world is completely broken and Bitcoin is the solution. I think that is the most high leverage uh, orange pill you could give out. All right, man. I love it. Yeah. No one, no one can argue with the orange pill question. It's uh, is a purely personal choice, and uh, yeah, it, I love the fact that uh, it makes people think. I think Matt O'Dell holds the longest pause on that question, which I did not edit purposefully. <laughs> the and and I think he also holds the record for the most answers in dm post record for the orange pool question as well <laughs> like, oh, oh damn, damn i should have said no 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 i should have said this oh god damn it. i don't think i don't think i'm gonna have that i think again contrary right. jerome powell i love it all right marty where can people come and find you if they don't know yet who you are where should they come and find you and interact 
uh, hang out mostly on Twitter at Marty Bent. Um, if you want to uh, see the content I produce, tftc.io um, is there. It's very professional content right now as well. You you have a you have your own uh, personal assistant. Uh, you know, uh, got... uh, not an assistant, a producer. Okay, producer. Uh, excuse me, Carl. I I didn't need to. Uh, I didn't mean to. He, he should have been here tonight. Like uh, you know, he he could have kept all this in check and, and make sure the bird noises were good audio. And <laughs> he's working. Uh, he's working hard at the Pleb Labs right now down uh, down on Seventh right. and Brazos. Well, excellent. Say um, say hi to Mrs. Marty and uh, yeah, go give your kid a hug and uh, have a great weekend. And thank you personally from me for, for everything that you've done in the space. I've learned so much from your personal interviews uh, that you do, as well as the, the rabbit hole recaps. Um, you know, uh, I'm a freak and uh, I appreciate it. And I can't wait to, can't wait to meet both of you guys one day uh, in real life. Neither can I. Thank you, Daniel, for having me on again. It's been a pleasure. Uh, let's not have like a three and a half, four year break between uh, the next two recordings. <laughs> For sure. All right, brother. Take care. All right. See you. Hey guys, thank you so much again, Marty, for coming on to the show second time around. If you haven't listened to the first rip, I, I would suggest you go back and find it. It will be early March. I think we were talking around uh, 2020. Uh, it was good fun as well really appreciate everything that you've done like i said at the end there learned so much from listening to you and your guests and of course the the show that you co-host with matt as well who's also been very kind to give up his time and come on the once bitten podcast so if any of you uh plebs or freaks are listening out there please reach out to marty say thanks say hi follow him if you are not if this is the first time you're hearing about him i'm sure it's not uh, he's been around the space for a while doing great work great fun awesome rip loved it well guys thank you again for sharing subscribing reviewing whatever it is that you do for streaming those sats on fountain or breeze wherever it is that you can find those streaming services it's all very much appreciated ready to go for 2022 i'm fully charged let's have it let's get after it bitcoin is the only hope you all know that please go check out the show notes the links are there to all of the sponsors you can stack with swan in the us you can stack with relay or bitcoin reserve or coin corner across europe and you've got to take control of these keys get the wallet shift crypto.ch forward slash bitten bitbox 02 bitcoin only and get to the conference get 10 percent off use bitten at checkout or hit the show note links it's all there I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening.